episode 134, three common mistakes that sabotage your goals. This is the Expat Mom Podcast, a podcast for expat moms around the world who want to feel better and improve their emotional health as they navigate the unique challenges of living and mothering abroad. I'm your host, Jenny Linton. I'm a certified life coach, a mom to four daughters, and married to a U.S. diplomat. I've lived in six countries on four continents. I know what it's like to feel stuck emotionally, and I know how to get unstuck. I'm excited to share with you some tools to help you feel less discouraged, improve your relationships, and increase your confidence. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I hope that things are going well with your getting it done goal. And if you haven't had a chance to sign up for the Getting It Done Bootcamp, it's totally free. Just click the link in the show notes and it will start sending you weekly um, worksheets um, for about 30 days to get it done. So here is episode three in the Getting It Done Bootcamp series. Hi, expat mamas and all the moms around the world who listen. Welcome. Especially to those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. And to those of you who listen regularly and are already part of our community, thanks so much for listening every week. I had a proud expat mom moment that I wanted to share with you. All of my children have actually lived abroad longer than they've lived in their home country of the United States. And I think that most of us as moms want our children to feel an affinity and connection to our home countries. Sometimes it's hard to know how to do that exactly. I will never forget the day that we were driving in the car and my oldest daughter, who was about four at the time, pointed to a Chinese flag and said, Mommy, there's our flag. Immediately, my heart sank, not because I don't love China, but because I realized she had not naturally inherited a sense of being an American like I had growing up in America. And of course she hadn't. She was a third culture kid who was sorting out a complicated cultural identity. I realized in that moment that if I wanted my daughter to have a connection for, a love for our home country, and an affinity for it, I would have to be more deliberate. Like many of you, my husband and I have tried the best we know how to raise children who are respectful citizens of the world, but who also know and love the history of our home country. We've tried some things like dedicating one night each week at dinner to discuss American history, government, and politics. Sometimes we miss it but we do try to do it more often than we don't. A few summers ago, we did an American history road trip, and we had complaining and fighting along the way sometimes, but we went anyway, and we did have some amazing experiences. We've signed up for an American history course while we're abroad, since the kids don't get that in school. And some weeks we're better at getting the classes done than others, but we're trying. Sometimes there's this nagging question in my mind, is it enough? Yesterday, I had a proud mom moment. My oldest daughter, the same one who pointed out the Chinese flag as our flag, is now almost 14. At dinner, she asked if she could get up at 1 o'clock in the morning to watch the inauguration of the President of the United States. My immediate thought was, oh, sweetie, that's in the middle of the night. Let's just watch it in the morning. But then I thought again. My teen, who loves sleep and cared enough about America to wake up in the middle of the night, wanted to watch the inauguration. It mattered that much to her. 
She's followed the election closely, and she's thought deeply about the issues, the candidates, and the policies. She even dug through our family picture archive to find a picture of when she had met Joe Biden as a four-year-old when he visited the Beijing embassy as the vice president. She put it as the screensaver on her computer screen. So as I thought about these things, and I thought about how I wanted my daughter to have an affinity to our home country, I changed my mind. I agreed. My husband and my daughter and I woke up in the middle of the night and watched the swearing in of our next president of the United States from across the world in China. Life came full circle for me thinking about that moment 10 years ago when my daughter excitedly pointed out the flag of another country, thinking it was her own. And now 10 years later, she has developed a deep affinity and love for our home country, even as a third culture kid who has lived outside the U.S. more than she's lived in it. It was an amazing moment as an expat mom to see that it's possible to raise children who are respectful citizens of the world and have a love, interest, and affinity for their home country. As I think about this story in relation to our topic of goals this month, it reminds me that some of our most precious goals can't always be specific, measurable, or time-bound. Sometimes our most precious goals are a little more vague, but that doesn't make them any less important. They're desires we have. We put words to them. We make plans for them and we move towards them. We don't always know when or if we'll be able to measure them or if we'll be successful, and that's okay. The surprise moments like this proud mom moment last night was incredible payoff. So keep going. Keep going with your SMART goals and your goals that are harder to measure. Today, regardless of the type of goal you're working towards, I want to share three common mistakes that often derail us in our progress. So far this month, we've talked about how to choose an adventurous goal. We've also talked about how to create a recipe for success. Now, I want to help you remove the barriers that commonly get in the way of us accomplishing our goals. I'm going to share a personal goal failure with you and show you how you can avoid making these same mistakes so you can be more successful at accomplishing your goals. First though, if you're enjoying this month's topic, you will definitely want to join me for my free getting it done bootcamp. We're choosing a goal to accomplish in 30 days. As we just talked about, not all goals can be accomplished in 30 days, and that's fine. This is just a fun chance for you to pick something you'd like to get done and put into practice all the things you're learning on the podcast. That is how new information really sticks. It's when we apply it. You can sign up for this boot camp in the link in the show notes. Each week, you'll receive a challenge to help you along the way in accomplishing your goal. There will also be helpful things on Instagram that will help you along your way. And if you're in the foreign service, you can also join the toolbox Facebook group where I'm offering short daily videos and tips and tools to help you keep going. I'll also link to that in the toolbox as well. My bootcamp goal is to declutter. Our family is moving this summer, so I'm trying to get down to 7,000 pounds and we have collected a little bit more than I wish we had over the last three years. So you can follow along on Instagram to see how my goal is coming along. So let's dive into our topic. So today I'm going to start with a personal example of a really well-intentioned, well-thought-out goal that got derailed by making all the mistakes that I'm going to share with you in just a minute. And I think those of you that live the expat life will really be able to relate to some of these challenges. So a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to be more disciplined in my spending. 
I created a budget and I promised myself that I would stay within the budget every month. I had a plan. I scheduled it out. I had planned to write down all my expenses every day and add them up at the end of the month. And I did it. I started working hard and I had some success. But not too long after I started running into some trouble, I found that it's really hard to track spending when you're trying to account for ATM withdrawals with cash and then you're spending some of that cash. Meanwhile, you do some digital payments through apps and then you're also doing online spending in a totally different currency. And then you and your spouse are both spending different things and it honestly became kind of overwhelming and it kind of got away from me. In the US, I could use a simple digital app like Mint and all of our spending was digital so I could easily calculate what it was that we were spending. But living with one foot in a cash economy and one foot in a digital online economy with all the various currencies and people withdrawing kind of got discouraging for me. I had really good intentions of recording my purchases right in the moment. But to be honest, between navigating a foreign language and trying to get receipts and tax refunds and having complicated shopping cart conveyors and children needing attention, the truth was sometimes I just didn't write it down. And sometimes I couldn't remember. And sometimes I just didn't feel like it later in the evening. Then to make matters even more complicated, partway through the year we moved and we were traveling for a lot of the summer in the U.S., visiting different family, visiting different sites. And we had planned in the budget for travel, but with all the logistics moving around, I stopped doing a very good job of tracking expenditures. And then I had wanted to load up on some items that wouldn't be available in China, which is where we were heading next. And I had tried to guess what it would cost for my budget, but to be honest, it was challenging to guess exactly how much it would be, and I underestimated how much it would be. So I ended up exceeding the budget that I'd given myself for loading up. Then in the fall when we moved to China, we again had another different currency. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes new currencies sometimes feel like play money to me at first. I'm constantly trying to gauge the value and calculate it in my head. And there were times that I got to the checkout and realized that the price was way over what I normally spend just because I wasn't able to accurately gauge the value of the things um, as I was going through the store. So getting settled also required purchases and getting our house set up. And although some of it had been expected, it was hard to plan for exactly. So surprise, surprise, by the end of the year, I did not reach my goal. And I want to be clear, I didn't spend more than we had. I just hadn't stayed within the budget that I had hoped for. And I was bummed. Part of it was just my undisciplined human brain. But part of it was the challenges of expat life. And part of it was that at the time, I did not have the right tools to follow through with my goal. If I had used some of the principles that I'm going to share with you, I would have at least been a little bit more successful. So I'm excited to share some of the common mistakes that derail us in our goals. Mistake number one is that we have a rigid definition of success. So the first mistake that we make is to define success in only one way. For example, we think we are only successful if we reach a particular threshold. So for me, I thought I was only successful if I always met my budget every single month. Often that threshold is the upper limit of what we hope for. The problem is that when we don't reach that upper limit, we feel like we failed. And in our human brain, success breeds momentum. Failure 
does not. It's discouraging and it causes us to want to stop. I was introduced to a concept that offers an alternative way to think about defining success by a woman named Brooke Snow from the Brooke Snow podcast. She teaches about something she calls floors and ceilings. She explains that when you set a goal, you define the best version of daily success as your ceiling and the lowest version of daily success as your floor. So for example, she explains that she set a goal to do yoga every day of the year, and she did. That's because her ceiling was like an hour of intense yoga, but her floor was three cat cows. So even on days when she was busy or sick or traveling, she could meet her floor of her goal. And on other days, she could do her ceiling. And probably on most days, it was somewhere in between. But the advantage to defining success in this way is that we don't spiral down into discouragement when we can't keep up with our high standards for success. We have the opportunity to be successful by just doing a little bit. And it helps us keep our momentum going. What if I had redefined my definition of success this way? What if my goal instead had been to reduce my spending? What if my floor was something simple like asking myself before purchases, will I really want this in a year from now? And what if my ceiling was tracking my expenditures and refining it as I went? I wonder if I could have still come closer to my goal than I did with my rigid definition of success. Mistake number two is our failure to anticipate obstacles. When we're making our goals, we often think about the end product of what we're going to accomplish or who we'll become. And we lay out all the steps. And for some reason, we forget all the obstacles in the way. We forget about all the reasons we probably aren't already doing the thing or being that thing right now. In the planning stages, we anticipate accomplishing our goal. And we kind of think about it like as if we're going to be driving to the grocery store, hitting every green light, getting a front row parking spot, getting exactly what we need on the first aisle of the store, having no one else in the checkout line and zipping back home. But actually, life isn't like that, right? Being successful at a goal always requires overcoming some obstacles. And if we can anticipate those obstacles ahead of time and come up with solutions ahead of time, we're much more likely to be successful. So for example, I could have spent time anticipating the challenge of trying to track spending from various sources and in various currencies and decided how to navigate that. I could have thought through better our trip and stocking up on things and how to navigate the uncertainties of costs. I could have better anticipated how to use a new currency in a new country and accounted for that. None of these obstacles were unsurmountable if I had anticipated them better. They just got discouraging when I ran up against them and I didn't have a plan for getting past them. Mistake number three is that we use the wrong language in our self-talk. Our culture has an epidemic of negative self-talk and negative labeling, myself included at times. We find ourselves saying things like, I'm a hot mess, or I'm such an idiot, why did I do that? Or I'm just a messy person, or I'm not good with money. The way we talk to ourselves becomes our identity. Our self-talk or our thoughts create the feelings which drive our actions and ultimately determine who we become and how we show up in the world. So when it comes to goals, we often talk to ourselves as though we aren't good at whatever we're trying to get better at, as if it's some sort of identity to not be good at something. The brain does not like to be wrong. So when we believe that our identity the old identity doesn't match the new goal or behavior, we often 
unrealizingly self-sabotage ourselves. This is because we don't like to be out of integrity with ourselves, so we rectify it by self-sabotaging, and sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing it. One of the tools that I've recently learned is about assuming the identity of the goal that we want to accomplish. This is usually a much more effective way of accomplishing our goal. So for example, it might be common for someone who wants to lose weight to say, no, I'll pass on the cake. I'm trying to limit my sugar. But do you see how this statement is operating from the old identity, somebody who likes sugar, but knows they shouldn't have it? A much more effective way to do this is to own the identity of someone who doesn't eat sugar. So for example, someone operating from this identity would say something like, no thanks, I don't eat sugar. Do you see the subtle difference? One of these people is choosing a behavior that actually contradicts their identity. The other assumes the identity of the goal that they're moving into and moves forward. In the book Atomic Habits, James Clear writes, quote, with identity-based habits, the focus is on who you wish to become. Good habits can make rational sense, but if they conflict with your identity, you will fail to put them into action, unquote. Having identity-based goals mean that we assume the identity of someone who's already accomplished the goal that we want to achieve. So this is how it works. We try to imagine ourselves as if we've already accomplished the goal. We think about what we might think about. We think about how we might feel. We think about what kind of actions we might take. So if we go back to the example of someone who's wanting to eat less sugar, somebody who's already assumed that there's someone who doesn't eat sugar isn't going to be sitting there wondering if they should eat the cake or not. They're not going to be worrying about what others think. They just know that there's somebody who doesn't eat sugar. And so they just go ahead and pass on the cake and move on to the next thing. They know that they're not going to wonder in the grocery store aisle whether or not they should buy the treat. They just pass right along. Do you see how assuming the identity of someone and talking about it and acting in the way as if you've already become that person makes it easier to accomplish your goal? So when I was trying to work on my budgeting goal, I often had the thought, I'm just not very good with money. I'm not doing a very good job tracking it. Um, I often had thoughts like, I'm really trying to keep better track of my money. But what if I had assumed the identity of somebody who was already good with money? I might use self-talk like, I like keeping track of my money because I'm good with money. It's a subtle difference, but it makes an important impact on whether or not we sabotage ourselves. Because when we've assumed the identity of somebody of the goal that we're trying to accomplish, our brain becomes on our side. It wants us to succeed because it wants to be in alignment with who we believe we are. So let's do a quick recap. Mistake number one, having a rigid definition of success. We can overcome this mistake by having a more flexible definition of success. We talked about the ideas of floors and ceilings and defining our daily goal behaviors in terms of kind of the lowest possible success we could have and the highest possible success so that we can be successful every day, no matter what our circumstances. Mistake number two is the failure to anticipate obstacles and define solutions. So in other words, the better way to handle this is to anticipate the obstacles and to define solutions for them ahead of time. 
So we're not surprised and we know exactly how to deal with them. Mistake number three is using negative self-talk. It's looking at ourselves and defining ourselves from where we are now. The way to overcome this is to define ourselves and create an identity of the person we will become after we've accomplished our goal and operate from that place. Okay, it's time for our expat exit strategy. So if you want to avoid sabotaging your goal this month, let's put these ideas into practice. You can download the worksheet in the show notes to help you do this. First, you're going to write your goal at the top of the page. Then under the first line, you're going to define success for your goal behaviors in terms of a floor and a ceiling. What does success look like when it's a floor day? What does success look like when it's a ceiling day? Then the second question, you're going to brainstorm all the possible obstacles that you might encounter along the way. And when you finish listing, ask yourself what else and keep going. Then you're going to think through on the right side, the right column, what are some of the solutions to each of the obstacles? That way you'll be ready when each of those obstacles arise. And then number three, you're going to stop telling yourself that you are your old you. You're going to assume the identity of the person that you want to become. You'll write down things like, what does this person think about? How does this person feel? How does this person respond in this particular situation? To help you move into the identity of this person. And the last step is to practice being that person. Using self-talk from the place of the identity of your new goal. Those of you who have been listening for a while know that I always offer a free 30-minute coaching session at the end of my podcast. That's because I would love to help you on any topic that would help you feel better. When it comes to getting stuck with your goals, sometimes the truth is you can't see why you're stuck. You can't see why you're not able to stop doing something or why you're not able to start doing something or keep doing something. Coaching is awesome to help you identify your blind spots and help you get moving again. So if you'd like help, sign up for a free 30-minute mini session on my website, theexpatmom.com. And don't forget to sign up for the Getting It Done Bootcamp in the link in the show notes so you can accomplish a goal in the next 30 days. Remember, 30 days are going to pass regardless of what you do. You might as well use it to become a better version of yourself. I'll see you there. If you'd like help applying the tools you're learning on this podcast, sign up for a free private 30 minute mini coaching session on any topic you'd like help on. You can schedule it on my website, theexpatmom.com forward slash schedule. Also, if you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find it. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.